Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Our show is about hope and prosperity in tough times. Today is Monday, March 4, 2013, and on this day in history, in 1877, African-American inventor Garrett Morgan was born. Happy birthday, Mr. Morgan. I have a phone number here for the Green Ninja Project on Kickstarter. Let's see who answers. Eugene Cordero, a climate scientist who works at San Jose State University, or the Green Ninja. Hello, Eugene. Nice to meet the Green Ninja yourself. <laughs> I guess I'm not really the Green Ninja, but I can represent him. thought I was calling to talk to the Green Ninja. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of green ninja in all of us. I'm glad you cleared that up. I feel much better now. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to talk to you, and I wanted to start off by saying congratulations on your successful Kickstarter campaign. The Green Ninja team is really excited about the wide support we got, and we're off to work making the Green Ninja show right now. And your program on Kickstarter did 102% in 30 days. That's incredible. What are you passionate about? Because I read that you were a passionate person in some of the press releases. You know, I really like education. I mean, that's why I'm here at a university. It's fun to work with young people to inspire them about science or about caring about the planet or about people. And it's a great opportunity as a teacher to interact with um, people about things that I think are important in the world and help them and us design solutions for our future. I hear that you're a climate scientist and Google Service Communications Fellow. That's a yeah, lofty title. That's my primary job, to try to understand our climate system. But I'm also interested in education and communication and how people understand the issue of climate change and what we can do about it. I thought that it was incredible that in your video for Kickstarter that you said that you have all the talent that you need right there at San Jose State University. I don't get the opportunity too often to interact with artists or musicians or poets. But through this project, I've had that experience. And um, it's amazing what students can do um, when they're given a real project and something that's important. And so we have found an amazing talent here, which was not unknown by other people, but at least by me and other colleagues in science, we didn't realize we had a fantastic group of people who do animation, who have students and faculty who are making wonderful films, and that we have uh, some great software engineers, which probably isn't surprising here in San Jose, right. but also some people who are working on cutting-edge education curriculum for teachers. How excited are the students to work with you? I think the science students find it interesting to, to interact with artists because it's such a different field. And yet when we start collaborating with, uh, with artists, I think the one thing they really like about our project is that there's a real purpose. We want to save the earth. We want to make our future better, not just for someone else, but for ourselves. And that it's immediate, like we're doing this work right now, and it's important today that we do this. I have neighbors who still to this day, you know, they pretty much scoff at uh, climate control, and they look at uh, Al Gore like a climate Nazi or something like that. And I guess they would probably look at you in, in the same light. It kind of reminds me of when I was a young kid during the 70s, how so many people just kept saying, 
you know, secondhand smoke or smoking in general, there was no conclusive evidence that it caused cancer or that it was unhealthy for people. And it seems to be that same sort of scenario to me all over again with certain segments of the population saying that climate change, pollution, there's no conclusive evidence that it is causing global warming. What do you have to say to that? You know, the science is very conclusive. We're seeing the impacts today. And yet there are some elements of our society who continue to to suggest that this isn't happening or it's all part of a big conspiracy. You know, change is difficult. When we asked uh, restaurants to provide smoke-free environments, when we asked workplaces to provide smoke-free environments, you know, there was some resistance. But we've made those changes. I think it's much more enjoyable to eat at a restaurant without secondhand smoke. And I think that we'll need to do some things to clean up the atmosphere so that we uh, we don't change the climate too dramatically in the next 20 or 30 years. Look at this. None of my shoes fit. Wow. Not only are you in desperate need of a pedicure, but yeah, your shoes are too small. Well, they usually fit. I didn't buy them this way. Wait. This happened to my friend Kelly. When was the last time you checked your carbon footprint? My carbon what print? It's a measurement of the greenhouse gases emitted to support your lifestyle. Now DJ Grandpa is very passionate about climate control. And I believe that science is always cool. And I hear that you have a half a million viewers on YouTube and you have a cadre of teachers all around the United States. Well, could you tell me a little bit about the idea of your global footprint, literally? I mean, that's a hilarious analogy I see in your videos. Our goal with the Green Ninja Project was to produce humorous, interesting, engaging videos and educational projects and products. It's ingenious. That get kids interested in this subject and help teachers bring this kind of subject into their classroom. You know, we're going to need to change our transportation system, our homes, our workplaces, even maybe our economies to deal with this. And it can be a little bit depressing. It's not always good news. So our Green Ninja is a superhero that inspires kids to take action on climate change. And so we don't focus as much on the problem, and we focus more on the solution, like what can we do about it? And so we kind of leap over some of the science, and yet, all the solutions are based on science. And if you want to ultimately understand what can we really do, you do need to understand the underlying engineering and science, issues about water and food. As you know, um, climate change is our defining environmental issue today. Over the last year, we've had some great successes, like award-winning films and nearly 100 teachers using Green Ninja materials in their classroom. But now we want to take this to the next level. Our plan is to produce a 16-week series of The Green Ninja Show that features films, animation, interviews, and experiments. In the spirit of Bill Nye the Science Guy, The Green Ninja will explore the field of climate science and solutions through humorous and quirky short weekly segments. We then couple that with a strong social media framework, and our plan is then to increase viewership by at least 10 times. I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on the show, and you have a big mission ahead of yourself. And I'm glad that you have such a powerful superhero and the Green Ninja behind you, because you're going to need every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, DJ Grandpa. I mean, it's fun to, uh, to talk to different people about this. And, um, you know, I, I, the goal is, is that all of us kind of discover some part of a Green Ninja within us and encourage young people to get excited about this subject.
I'd like to introduce you to Caleb Chamberlain, the owner of CH Robotics out of Payson, Utah. He has a Kickstarter campaign on right now for the Hydra triple output power supply for electronic products. Tell me, what is the Hydra? Really, it's a DC to DC converter, which means basically you can give it any DC input voltage and get three independent and configurable output voltages. Designed to make it really easy to get whatever voltages you need to power your design, your project, whatever you happen to be working on. Tell me, how do you come up with these ideas in the first place? So far, every idea we've had that's marketable has come basically because there was a need that we had. Now, for example, when I started CH Robotics, it was one year into my master's program, and I needed an orientation sensor, basically a small, low-cost sensor that I could use to get like a compass heading and pitch and roll angles and so on. Yes. But that didn't really exist. Uh, I mean, you could buy one for a grand, it was, but there wasn't anything cheap and low cost and small in the market. So I built one for my thesis, and then I actually started selling them, and it actually worked out really well. And the Hydra is kind of the same way. Uh, whenever we do these projects here at CH Robotics, we're always having to mess with you know, how to get the right voltages and so on to power what we're designing. And it's like this recurring problem. You have to reinvent the wheel every time. So we decided, well, let's build something that just does it. So we built it for ourselves, really. Who do you think this product is ideally made for? People like ourselves. We're talking engineers, hobbyists, people in the maker community, college students. Anybody who does anything with electronics, anybody who might purchase, say, a benchtop power supply, the Hydra can serve the same purpose, but, you know, it's smaller. It's not as powerful usually as a gigantic benchtop supply, but usually you don't need that kind of power. So, And it can be automated by using your computer or iPad or something like that? Yeah, there's a number of ways to control it. You can control it from a computer by connecting to it with USB, which can be kind of handy just to look on your computer screen, see what the voltages and currents are and so on for all the different outputs. You can control it with your phone, and that's nice if you're somewhere away from a computer, a phone or an iPad. We're working on an expansion board so you can control it with Wi-Fi. Yes. And another expansion board that lets you control it with knobs and look at digital readouts so that you don't even need an external phone. Yeah, we've designed it so you can put all these different expansion boards on it and, and have different functionality depending on what you need. How does it feel to be going into stretch goal territory? I always thought it was a, a great idea and that the response would be good, but whether how I feel about the product is going to reflect how everybody else feels is an open question. So, yeah, we've been pleasantly surprised by the enthusiastic response, and we've got a lot of good feedback from people as well about what they want and so on. Before you put this product on Kickstarter, did you have a lot of support from your family and loved ones? You know, I, I reached out to my friends, family members, people I've worked with in the past, and said, hey, we've got this project take a look, and uh, everybody, you know, of their own initiative when started spreading it around, you know, really going out of their way to try to make it successful, and that's been really nice. I'd imagine so, and I'm happy that you have that type of support. Uh, let's talk to the backers for a second. What would you like to say to them? I would say thank you so much. For an engineering project like this, Kickstarter almost amounts to a pre-order. It's overwhelming that people will get on and commit to paying that much and not immediately get something for it. Well, for example, people get on a pledge, say, $200. You get a Hydra and an expansion board, and we won't be delivering until April. So 
they're seeing this project, they're interested in it, they can see its potential, and they're willing to go out there on a limb and support it well in advance of it actually being launched. And I think that's fantastic. Caleb, thank you very much for coming on the show, the owner of CH Robotics. Good luck with your project, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Up next, Dylan Sneed, a country music singer and songwriter from Hartsville, South Carolina. He's trying to fund a promotions campaign for his critically acclaimed album, Texas Accelerated. Are you on tour right now? I am. I'm in, um, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, unlike most Kickstarter music projects, this project is not to do the album. The album is already done. Uh, you did a Kickstarter in 2010 to fund the album, right? Correct. You know, you celebrated, you got the minimum funding amount that you needed, you mm-hmm. were able to do the album, and then what? We actually got a little bit over our goal, which was exciting, and we packed our stuff up and met in a little town in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina where my buddy has a cabin. And so we came and brought some equipment, set it up like a studio. People came from all over the country, from New York, from Texas, from Tennessee, and we made this record. We had it manufactured. We had toured on it and uh, started selling it at shows, selling it online. And the problem was I never made a push to radio. You know, I never made a push to a larger audience. I was kind of doing the one fan at a time approach, which but building some good relationships, don't get me wrong. And I've got some great fans that have continued to support me throughout the years. But I feel like, in the words of this promoter that wants to work with me, I feel like Texas never really got its chance in the sun. And what she's going to be able to do is basically get the music into the ears of literally thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of new listeners all over the world. Running from, running to, two things I always do now, baby. Run right past an open door, miss what I've been running for now, baby. And you guys believe you can do all that with $10,000 of funding from Kickstarter? That's kind of a bare-bones budget for this level of promotion. You're yes, talking sir. about 850 radio stations in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. And since we're sending out all those CDs, we have to reprint the CDs. So there's some manufacturing costs involved. There's uh, promotion fees involved. And you don't even want to hear about the postage. That was the first thing that cropped into my mind, but I was like, I'm not even going to go there. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the postage will just blow you away. Two young lovers on TV screen. Two in the morning should be flying in a dream But I'm lying in a bed that I've already made I think I'll take a little midnight promenade Taught me as a young man there's black and there's white Battle for your soul between the dark and the light I hear the distant rumble of the cavalcade And every footstep of the midnight promenade Give me a couple of your biggest influences now. I'm trying to get a grasp on your music. You bet. I think that they continue to change. I feel like as I get older, I'm 
33 right now. I'm not an old man by any means, but I feel like I like a lot of music. You know, I didn't ask you who are your childhood influences. Who are your influences right now? <laughs> well, if I would emulate my career after any one figure in modern music, it's probably Paul Simon. Okay. I feel like he is the consummate artist. He has continued in his career to to create, to innovate. He doesn't seem bound by any tradition, and yet he's a respecter of tradition. She loved me so pure, she loved me so deep. She loved me for a promise I didn't keep. Okay, I saw your bio. It says that you were jettisoned from corporate America in 2006. And so then you logged over 200,000 miles all around the world touring. That's some anger there, isn't it? Well, I tell you what, um, when I did get my pink slip, I was the happiest guy in that building. I kept a journal at work. I remember writing an entry one time. I just, it was very short. I just said, by this time next year, I will be in Nashville. I was not where I was supposed to be. And I knew it, and maybe it was the Lord going to be a little like, yeah, I'm just going to give you a little head start here. <laughs> oh, I got you, I got you. And, you know, and so I, I felt like from that point on, I could really breathe. I could really be myself around there. And it was the last month I was at that job. I was just online, booking shows, and getting ready to hit the ground running. No, my I took a long time to decide if I wanted to do this or not. It's like you have this dream, and then maybe it just kind of doesn't pan out the way you think it will, the way you want it to. And then you kind of start to let it go, you know? I felt like that's sort of what I had done with this album. And here comes along this lady, and she says, you know what, I don't think this is finished yet. I think we could do something here. And and for a while, I, I kind of grabbed my teeth because I was like, man, I don't know if I want to go through that. Again, it was like, you know, getting, going through a breakup or something and, and just not wanting to get back in the game. And so I um, I called one of her clients, and it was like talking to myself five years into the future. It was right. a really great conversation, and he, and he just had this peace, and he just said, you know what, I just felt like working with her, it turbocharged the acceleration. And that's just the words that he used, and that really stuck with me, and, and I said, well, shoot. If I can be a part of that, I'd like to. And so that's where we came up with the name. I was born a rebel son, color of most everyone, white as lightning, silver spoon in hand. Father raised a gentleman who in time gained understand. Seeking heart will steal you from the motherland. I checked out your YouTube channel, and there's a song on there called Resurrecting Kessler. It's by Dylan Sneed and Petra Kelly. Do you remember that song from 2010? The title of the video is Resurrecting the Kessler. There's a theater in Dallas, Texas that has gone through many different incarnations over the years called the Kessler. Most recently, it's been turned back into a great music venue. And the song featured in that video is a song on Texas called Under the Sheets. Before anybody gets the wrong idea about that, it's, a, it's like a lullaby to all of the dreamers. It's an encouraging to hold on to your dream, you know? So it's nothing like the Isley Brothers Between the Sheets song. 
<laughs> Not quite. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. This is a family show. Oh, I know. I know. Sleep, 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 little darling, and don't keep your eyes on a mountain that's so steep. The best thing to do is to breathe deep. Dylan Sneed, Texas Accelerated. For anyone who's listening, Dylan's project is about independent music and its place in the world. And if you want to go check it out, go to kickstarter.com and type in Texas Accelerated and check out his project. The music in the video is incredible. And if anyone can't find it, just go to our website, djgrandpa.com, and we'll have links to everything Dylan there. So I'd like to say thank you for coming on the show. We are not who we appear to be. Let's meet clinical herbalist and author Dina Falcone and botanical illustrator Wendy Hollander. Their Kickstarter campaign is for their book, Foraging and Feasting, a basic field guide and wild food cookbook. Welcome, ladies. Your book, helps to identify wild and edible plants with instructive botanical illustrations, which look incredibly beautiful, harvest and cook the foods that you find into delicious foods with your recipes. And it sounds as though you found exactly what you were looking for three years ago when Wendy Hollander moved into your neighborhood, Dina. Wendy moved to the neighborhood, and I learned that she was a botanical illustrator and immediately felt that we had this project to do together. It was something that I had been thinking of creating for a long time. I'm not an illustrator. I'm an educator and an herbalist. I teach people about wild plants and how to ID them. And Wendy is an artist, and it was an incredible opportunity for us just to come together and create a body of work that could teach. Now, does this book help you embrace your local ecosystem? It is about helping people to connect to their ecosystem and learn the plants. And I've chosen really, really common ones. There are a handful of other ones in there that might be more specific to North America or even to places like the Mediterranean or Mongolia. Yes, ma'am. A couple of odd ones that I threw in that become wild and invasive, which is what I have here on my land. I've put in plants that are really useful, that are weeds somewhere else, and I introduced them here. Recently, I did an interview with the Green Ninja. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, but he's like a superhero who fights against carbon emissions to bring down global warming and stuff. And I saw that you mentioned in some of your press material that you were looking for a way for a zero carbon footprint. How would you teach that? That's one of the things that motivates me is for people to be able to physically and directly engage with their ecosystem and forage for food so that they don't have to get into a car or even grow the food, that it just grows wild. These are the plants that we're discussing. Yes. So there is already a cornucopia, you know, an abundance of food. It's just a question of learning how to see that food. So zero carbon footprint in the sense that nothing is needed in terms of input for that plant to grow. It grows wild on its own. You know, you don't have to cultivate, we don't have to use pesticides. In fact, the pesticides are usually used to kill those plants. Now, Wendy, those drawings of yours are incredible. And I see the rewards on the the right side of your Kickstarter page. You guys need to unlock 
a t-shirt or something. You need a couple t-shirts of those drawings, like the grapes or something. <laughs> no, for real, I'm saying some businesses live and die by t-shirts. I searched your page. You need some t-shirts of those drawings. <laughs> they're, they're just too beautiful. Yeah, that is a good idea. Make it a stretch goal or something, you know. You know, we've thought of all kinds of other stretch reward possibilities, but maybe, yeah, we should. The book is laid out into two primary sections. Uh, the first part will be the full-color botanical illustrations. We're working on 50 plants there. And then the second part is a recipe book that takes those 50 plants and turns them into delectable food. I read on your bio that, uh, I believe, Wendy, you're published. Maybe both of you are, but... Why essentially self-publish on Kickstarter? I guess I could answer that first because I have two published books. One is a self-published book and one is with a big publisher. So I get to track both those books still sell. So I see the kind of money I make off one versus the other. And, you know, while one has sold many thousands of copies and the other has sold many fewer, though obviously that's the self-published, I make so much more money on that that... I think it's more profitable, and it, this project that Dina and I are doing is very complicated, and we knew that any publisher was going to want to change it, and we kind of knew how we wanted to do it, so we didn't want to give them that chance. In our discussions, it came up, you know, the strength of the Internet allows us to reach our audience and direct market our books. So in prior years, you would have needed a big publishing house to help you move your book. We hope to direct sell most of our books through our website, or whatever. I mean, we'll do distribution channels too, but we're excited about the direct link to the consumer and the internet and Kickstarter really allows that to happen in an amazing way. Your book is beautiful. And when I was at NPR for many years, I had the fortune of having access to so many beautiful books. And yours is definitely one that we probably would have fought over because the pictures are so nice <laughs> and because of the subject matter. You touch on it by mentioning the beauty in the book, but the idea that we were able to do the botanical illustrations is, I think, one of the things that makes it so special because it's hard to find that because it's not very cost-effective for one. And, um, <laughs> you know, it takes so long to have done all of those meticulous drawings when the plant was growing in every stage of development. For me, it was the collaboration makes it really special to work with somebody who's so knowledgeable about the plants and knows exactly what you need to show at what point, you know, for harvesting, for eating, all those kinds of things made it um, just a great project to work on, but I also think it's what will make it such a great book. I was going to just add to what Wendy was saying is having been in this field of foraging and, and herbalism and plant identification for so many years, I know the level at which plants are covered in books. You know, I have my library of these great books that I love, but I could see what was missing. So that's what we're trying to offer here in this book, is those parts that were missing when you're trying to ID plants. And through Wendy's incredible skills, and with my helping direct those drawings, the viewers, it has a unique opportunity to see something that really hasn't been covered so much in prior field guides. I mean, the book is packed. It's got the recipes, which hopefully people will love. But it's also this plant ID part, which is incredible and comes from this incredible collaboration between the two of us that's taken, you know, slow, steady steps to make happen. And like Wendy said, you know, nobody in their right mind would have taken this on. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, though. No one in their right mind would have taken it on. 
it sounds as though you're making it out to be a labor of love. So that's pretty You got funny. it. That's exactly right. I love what you're doing. I like the zero carbon footprint thing. I like the part that you said. With theme and variation, you could make up to possibly three to 4,000 recipes from one book. And that it's like 30 years of your life's work that you put into this whole foraging and feasting thing. So I can't knock anyone who puts 30 years into anything. Thank you so much. That's sweet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kurt Hine, I'd like to welcome you to the show. This is DJ Grandpa's Crib, and you have a film short on Kickstarter right now. It's called Ill Will. It's a stop-motion animated film. How did you get into stop-motion animation? I just with the technology that's come out probably the last 10 years or so, there's some uh, computer programs that you can use, like webcams and stuff like that to get started. You can just do it on your own personal computer. So I just got fascinated how you were able to make one of the stop-motion movies just on your home PC. That's just kind of how I started out, making little characters out of clay and animating. And I just kept going and uh, throughout the years progressing, learning different techniques and trying to upgrade my equipment a little bit. Started out as a hobby and then just started something to like to do a little more than a hobby. I saw in your bio it says that you build all the sets, you do all the modeling, music, scripts, and acting. Just one of those things, it's like I'm always fascinated with the internet and like videos and you can just find out how to do all these different skills. That's right. just kind of how I got started with this guy has a website and he has like just how-to videos, how to do all that stuff. And I just started watching them and trying them out for myself. What's your film Ill Will all about? I really like Western and I've never really kind of seen too many stop motion films done on the subject. And I, I always really like the spaghetti westerns, like the man with no name. Put the gun down. Take your maw and get you're the man of the house now, boy. So just put that gun down. Come on now. I know your family's stupid. But are you really gonna make your maw dig two graves tonight? How long did it take you to make this film? It's taken me a long time to actually uh, figure out how to make the film with latex puppets. So it's been a lot of trial and error. Yeah. I've been working on the puppet building for at least, I'd say, about a year now. And for the actual filming of that first two minutes of it, I've actually reshot that probably three times. So it's been about another four or five months on top of that. Obviously, you have a passion for this, and you're putting all this time into it. Do people support you pretty much in what you're doing? My wife has been a huge help. She's like pretty much the one that's been supporting me the whole way, like make it possible for me to actually pursue this. She's a helicopter pilot in the Navy, so we move around quite a bit. And so we just recently moved to uh, California. And since I've been here, I really wasn't able to find a job. So I just kind of just been pretty much every day working at it and trying to get a little better at it. Why did you put your project on Kickstarter? I was told by uh, one of my wife's friends about the Kickstarter, because I, I really wasn't too aware of it. And I checked it out, and I saw a lot of the films that were on there, and I just thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to see if anybody was interested in the kind of stuff I was doing and see if I could get a little extra support. Because we sunk quite a bit of money into this project already, and I was just trying to see if I could just kind of take it to that next level, like you said, and get some sets and stuff built. And I was just hoping maybe I could 
get out there and see if there's anybody else kind of connected with the short. Is there anything that you would like to say to maybe sell your project if anyone's listening right now and they may be interested in checking out your page on Kickstarter? Yeah, I would just say check out the trailer and see if it's something that interests you. I try to put up some what I thought would be pretty cool rewards as far as have one where you can actually have a stop-motion puppet. And actually, it takes a long time to make it. So it take about two and a half, three days to make it, and it's hand-painted. So I think it's pretty cool. So and I just like to say all the people that back me so far, thanks a lot. And it's really motivating and helped me just keep chugging along and working on this project. Thank you very much for the interview, sir. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on here. Podcast. How you doing, dude? What's up? Elliot's going. You got it. Wow, that's pretty good because most people don't get it on the first try. I watched the video ten times, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Practice, but I still had to make sure. I'd like to introduce Elliot's Gowans of Elias and the Era. He has a Kickstarter project on Kickstarter right now called Help Yourself, the album release. He's from Akron, Ohio. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Elias. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Now, dude, your music is just packed full of energy, man. Packed full of energy. And it deals with very serious topics. Why don't you tell me about some of those topics? The record that I'm putting out in April is called Help Yourself. And it's about a period of my life, probably a good solid year period. I was living in Pittsburgh at the time and uh, was kind of a stranger in a strange land. I moved out there for school, didn't really know anybody. You know, when you're with yourself, you're kind of forced to kind of deal with yourself and really learn who you are. And I was just kind of tackling and realizing the totality of a lot of things that had gone in my life, some unresolved conflicts and, you know, being alone with all that kind of like darkness. Definitely not the best period of my life. So the new record is definitely about, you know, kind of facing the struggles of your life head on and, you know, learning what you can from that and drawing what positivity you can from that and being stronger for the future. Indeed. Now, how old are you since you said you were having problems while in school? I will be turning 23, actually, about a week before the album comes out. And you talk about, on the Kickstarter page, how you have all these featured artists or collaborations on the project. Would you like to tell me about some of those people? I have a very, very, very short attention span, which... Um, it kind of manifests my artwork in a lot of ways. And so um, I kind of get very bored with doing things my way all the time. And I know exactly how the next line is going to go for me. I know what the next song is going to sound like. So I'm always looking for ways to surprise myself. So I kind of put out some feelers to a lot of my artistic friends. It was just like, hey, you know, this is going to make this record a lot more interesting for me. You know, if I can get some fresh blood in here and kind of turn it upside down. And uh, it's been an amazing process. And I've had so many people that, you know, have a lot better things to be doing than working with me you know, contribute to the project, which is awesome. So the end result is a lot more powerful than it could be, you know, with all these different ideas and kind of themes rather than just me by myself. Now, you have a short attention span, and DJ Grandpa, he doesn't have a whole lot of patience. So, you know, that kind of (laughs) goes hand in hand. How many members are in your band? Right now, we are a three-piece. I play guitar, piano, and sing live. And then uh, my drummer is Zach Keith. And she's pretty much a multi-instrumentalist, but we have uh, Sandra Emmeline. She is a piano student at University of Akron. She actually graduated. And no friend, did you know there's a ghost present? And if not, you 
see you're a techno punk band and all of that and you go into all sorts of theatrics. Tell me about some of the skits and stuff that you guys do in concert. The air is kind of a collaborative effort between myself and a revolving door of like eight to ten different artists. And uh, when we play live, you know, a lot of times you go out and see a band and it's, you know, five guys in jeans and t-shirts and they're staring at the ground and they're playing the songs. And once you've seen two or three songs, like, at least for me, I kind of just like lose my focus because, you know, the stage becomes this very static thing. And so when we play, we just try to always have as much going on as possible to really, you know, create an experience and to keep people um, interested. We have video projections, um, all original stuff that go through the entire set. We have all kinds of, like, ridiculous costume changes. I think the last show we did, I think I had five costume changes. One of the big things right now is um, our encore. We usually release a bunch of, like, confetti-filled balloons onto the crowd. And it's nice seeing the first person realize that if they squeeze real hard and pop it, they're going to get confetti everywhere. And then the whole place just becomes this chaotic mess of everybody popping these balloons. It's wonderful. I got you. But, it sounds like a lot of fun. Elias, what would you like to tell your backers on Kickstarter? The most forward thing is just gratitude. Like, you know, to have someone believe in you in that regard, it's a really powerful thing. And I've gotten, you know, a lot of messages and letters and emails, you know, about, you know, my work from people. Like, it means a lot to me. It's an amazing connection that we can kind of foster with people. And so I just always plan to give as much back as they give to me, you know, at least as much, if not more. I need a few tips. So I wanted to know if you could help me out. Like, say if I want to fund a music project on Kickstarter, do you have any advice? If you're funding a music project on Kickstarter, and this is our fourth, actually, and uh, assuming it's a success, we're at 100% success rate on these things, I would say the most important thing is to make sure that you're offering a variety of rewards. We've never really done t-shirts before, so for this Kickstarter, we're like, hey, you know, everybody's been asking, let's go ahead and throw t-shirts on the menu here. And the largest like pledge level for backers has been the t-shirt. And also, too, like uh, just make something personal. Like One of the higher-tier awards that we end up selling a lot of is custom songs. And we did these last year with our first album, and it turned out great. These are things that people can have that are personal to them, and that, in the end, is more meaningful than any sort of signed poster or CD or anything that you could give to them. So right. you know, having a variety of options and having some personalized stuff is really key to uh, you know, helping generate the donations. Well, I appreciate your experience, and I appreciate your contribution to the Kickstarter community. And DJ Grandpa is like the world's biggest music fan, bar none, bar none. But my last words to you are, show me the music. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. The uh, we're gonna we've been posting some stuff for the backers. Um, we put out a track last week um, off the record just for them, but uh, we plan to have music videos out um, for three songs by the time April rolls around. So you'll be seeing the music and watching the video here soon. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Elias. Oh, no problem. That was great. Okay, listeners, it's that time again for another one of DJ Grandpa's Tips of the Week. If you remember last week, I gave you a hot tip about empowering the media to work for you. This week, it's about the video remix. Tip number two. First, you'll need an account at YouTube. This is free. YouTube is one of the biggest social media portals in the world. Second, you need a basic video camera, iPhone, or iPad. 
If you're a musician, record yourself unplugged singing your song. Show me the music. If you're an author, read a passage from your book. If you create gadgety gadgets, film a short video showcasing your invention. I've seen the video remix work, and I've seen folks raise from $400 to $2,000 in a 72-hour period. And if this process works for you, repeat it until your project ends. That was tip number two, the video remix. Stay tuned next week, tip number three. That's it, the end of our show. I'd like to thank all our guests this week, and a special thanks goes to Trevor Williams for contributing the theme song to DJ Grandpa's Crib. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can like us on Facebook, search words DJ Grandpa's Crib. You can also follow us on Twitter at DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. Search for DJ Grandpa's Crib in the iTunes store. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. And if you are not socially inclined, you can still reach DJ Grandpa the old-fashioned way by email. That's djg at djgrandpa.com. Each week, we will be talking to some of the most creative people on the planet. Stay tuned. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer for this and all House of Abdul podcasts is Abdullah Rufus. Thank you.